All right, good morning, everybody. Mike Courtney, Mass Mutual, Eastern Pennsylvania. I'm joined by my good friend and counterpart at IBC Global, Steve Parisi. Steve, good morning. How are you today? Morning, Mike. Fantastic over here. How about yourself? Good, good. Finally starting to see some uh, little little uh, hint of, of an actual spring. So, uh, you know, that always makes me happy. I love it. Nice run this morning. It's, it's nice. Shorts and a t-shirt. I'm good to go. Nice. <laughs> so Steve and I, um, feels like for a while, the last uh, maybe four or five calls have been spending a lot of time talking about product and product changes and, um, you know, who's competitive where and different riders and, and how you can maximize value. Today, we wanted to talk about the, the other side of our sales process, which is really um, client communication and running meetings and, you know, how do you kind of filter all this information in a really ideal and concise and summarized way for a client while remaining, you know, real detailed and answering all the nitty gritty questions. So, Steve, I know that you have um, an internal team of sales producers that you manage and you've got a very specific um, selling system and process in place for those folks. And then you've got ILS, which is the um, uh, the training platform where people can can brokers or advisors can sign up for a subscription and get a boatload of information there. What's been key in your team, your internal team's success with regards to how their sales process works or how their sales process has developed? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'll give you one thing. It's the number one thing. Uh, and it's really what sets the difference or, or makes the difference between a superstar agent and someone that doesn't make it um, or struggles in the business, whether they're here or, or anywhere in the industry in general, which is really communication, uh, being able to communicate the message of the product, your story, whatever it might be effectively to your audience whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's in a group setting, are you effective with communication? And I would say most people probably are not effective with communication naturally. I'm not. <laughs> I can share stories where I've bombed presentations, most embarrassing situations of my life. Um, but it is something anyone can improve. And how you improve upon it is simply by practicing. Practice, practice, practice. Um, I know for me, I'll try and use visuals. So I'll write out what I want to communicate, um, use visuals where possible, and then I'll rehearse aloud exactly what I would say to you if we're going to have a meeting or a conversation. I'll rehearse the main points. And in the beginning, it's very structured because I've got that script almost in my mind. But then like anything, as you become more comfortable with it, you can learn to call audibles, right, related to a, a football game. And then it becomes more conversational because communication is knowing how to feel your product, how to feel the situation, um, how to maneuver through that conversation. But at the same time, completely adjust course if you start asking questions that have nothing to do with perhaps 80% of my, my conversation or my, uh, my presentation, if you want to call it that. So I don't want to talk about the 80% you don't care about. So being able to really understand your product, service, 
objective. What does the client want? Like that's it. And then how do you how do you communicate effectively to them where they know like you're with them? Okay, you're trying to help them. You've got their objectives down. Here's how to do it. You're asking the right questions. And, and practice is how you improve upon that. So will you, like I had a, uh, in a previous life, I worked for a sales organization where we would do a lot of role play. Yeah. We'd have um, twice a week, we would have these sales meetings um, where at some point in the meeting, we would either break into small groups or just kind of get called on to bring up an issue or bring up a specific topic. And then you and the sales manager would kind of role play your way through that, which was always, you know, it's always kind of an embarrassing and uncomfortable exercise, but so critical for just, you know, it's almost like performing a, uh, you know, something in athletics or, uh, you know, if you're, if you do the long jump or if you, you know, shooting a basketball, you have to get that muscle memory down and, if you don't have any muscle memory and you go to open your mouth and you think you have the knowledge, it's not always going to come out in an it, effective way. It's not. And then you kick yourself thinking, oh, I did that wrong. The communication it just stunk there. I wish I would have done things differently. Um, role play helps a lot. Um, just drilling over and over. Uh, the awkward feeling you mentioned, I can relate to that. I would hate role play so much. I wanted to quit jobs I used to work for, one in particular when I think about it, because I'd always mess up and people would just kind of look at me like, what's wrong with this well, guy? Well, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's an awkward, weird, you know, we're not actors. And all of a sudden you're kind of rehearsing a play is what yeah. it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, we're uncomfortable at first. Like anything, the more that you do it, the more comfortable you become with it. Um, and, and it does help you just improve overall with communication. It's helped me so much. Um, and, and I still do it. And I often do it by myself. Um, and what I mean when I say that is if I'm preparing a recording for someone, for example, when we send a proposal and different illustrations, if it's something that's fairly complex, I'm not just going to send it to them. I'm going to do a, a Zoom recording, turn it into a private YouTube link and send it to them or something like that which provides talking points to the material I sent. It makes it easier for them. But I don't shoot one recording and send it all the time. Sometimes, you know, if I'm, if I'm on that day, but it's very rare. I'm going to practice it because when I deliver it to them, I want it delivered in the same manner that I would deliver it to them as if we were talking on the phone, similar to what they've seen through our marketing content. Like I want it... it how can I put this served on a golden platter? This way they say, okay, this is exactly what I want. Thank you. They see the work that was put into it and then they want to move forward because it's, it's their money. This is their plan. It's about them, not about me. So I want to make sure the presentation is, is as good as it can be to, to complement the product, which is what they ultimately want. And I think too, for um, sales professionals, whether you are the sales professional or you're managing the sales professional, it's important for that person to realize that, um, you know, you want to get this practice and get the kinks out of the way during these internal role play sessions or during whatever your mechanism is for practice as opposed to with clients. So I had, you know, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I've been with Mass Mutual for about 10 years. When I first started, I had literally 
never touched a disability insurance case. So, you know, it's not that complicated of a concept, um, but it is kind of a niche world. And there's a lot of little um, idiosyncrasies that go along with disability uh, product and underwriting. So I, when I first started working for Mass, I was getting a lot of inbound phone calls from advisors that had questions about our product or about a certain case. And I just had no life experience. So I very quickly got up to speed and educated myself with regards to the product. So I had product knowledge, but I still found myself struggling in conversations. And I asked one of the disability wholesalers, I think this is important for, uh, you know, so not to pat myself on the back, but as a sales professional, I kind of recognized that I was deficient in a certain area and I took some ownership. I called one of the um, disability wholesalers at the home office and I said, I want a, a standing call every Monday morning at nine o'clock, five minutes. So I was asking him to help me, but I was also making it very non-invasive. It can be real quick. I want to start my week every week talking about disability, and I just want to talk about anything. I want you to tell me a story. Talk to me about a product feature. Tell me about a case you worked on last week. Tell me about some weird underwriting scenario. Tell me a funny story. Talk about a claim, whatever. We did it for probably, um, I don't know, we probably did it for three months and it got to the point where DI was top of mind for me. Yeah. And sometimes that's all that it really is, just kind of get, getting your brain rewired a little bit so that this is something you're thinking about, talking about every day, as opposed to, you know, if there's an area where you feel deficient or less than, you're going to shy away. And that's, yeah. that's going to be obvious, you know? Yeah, big time. Bill, thanks for sharing that too. Building awareness around the disability product and then rehearsing it, becoming more comfortable with it. And the rehearse, either you can do it on your own or it's going to happen either way as you talk to more and more brokers about it. But if they sense kind of like what you mentioned that you're not confident about it or not knowledge about it, knowledgeable because you're shying away, that's where we end up losing the business as a result. Like that's the kind of stuff that that happens when someone right. disappears, right? Where Very person... clearly wasn't an expert. And yeah. same as your, your internal salespeople, if... This is really where they're supposed to have expertise, and it becomes clear that they're not experts in this area. You know, if I'm the buyer, I'm probably looking around for, for a different outlet. Yeah, and that can happen so quick. So you have to be knowledgeable on that, and then you have to communicate it effectively. You mentioned before uh, with the, uh, the individual you're working with, whether it's product information, underwriting issues, stories. Stories are the things we remember more than anything else. So, you know, there's the saying, what stories sell, um, they, they do. So if you can become effective with with using stories or illustrations to complement your product or service, that will keep the attention of your listeners or your customers more than just product details with most people, not everyone, but with most. Um, the thing is- And they, there, don't have, they don't have to be your stories. Correct. Yeah. I don't like, you know, I'm not making up stories, but if it's, you know, if it's something really that happened or a real, uh, but just didn't happen to me, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We all get our stories as time passes. That That's good advice you gave there for someone new in the business. If you're young, you know, I was like, I don't have any stories when I was young. <laughs> yeah. Use mine. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Story is someone else. 
Um, but, you know, with those stories, the one thing to be aware of there is I've seen people be very effective with the initial sale with stories. Um, but then if we don't have the product knowledge or know someone that does on the back end, it can end up hurting us because for very good, for a good storyteller, they want to work with us. But then if we say, okay, I got the sale, I'm good. Let me move on to the next person and sell them with my story and my product requires service on the back end. They're going to come back. Things will happen no matter how perfect everything is set up. Things will happen. If you don't know how to maneuver through difficult situations, it can really cause a lot of stress um, with your particular product or service, depending on what company you're using and such. Um, but it's, it's important to go beyond just the story selling. You have to know things in and out or have specialists or internals that do. So your your setup in the office, I think, is you know your let's call it your internal sales team or the producers that are internal at IBC. I would imagine regularly, um, more than weekly, you guys are getting together in some form of huddle and role playing, answering questions, talking about live cases, talking about live situations, um, just like everlasting ongoing training for those folks, correct? Correct, so the sales team every day, first thing in the morning, they do role play, that's five to 15 minutes, nothing extensive, but to, just to get things flowing. So they do role play as a group. Um, and then they do have weekly meetings, all departments do. Some departments um, will have collaboration calls where a number of departments meet together. Um, for sales, they've got their standard weekly meetings, um, which is the entire sales team, that's typically on Tuesdays. I'll run one of those uh, once per month. And then there's other meetings. Um, our sales team is actually broken up into two groups. So we've got the senior agents that will run trainings with their juniors as well. Um, so there's a lot of constant um, training and just interaction among each other. You have to because things pop up in this business, you know, variables and questions that you thought you would never, never receive. Like, I don't know how to answer this. Well, someone with experience does. So let's work together so we can properly answer the client's question. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a good setup. I found that, you know, a lot of times in a sales organization, you you, you set up these um, these meetings that start to become stale. And I yeah. think uh, what you mentioned is 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 sharp, like a good way to keep that stuff fresh is, um, yeah, we're going to do role play every morning, but it's going to be five minutes. It's not this isn't going to be a 45 minute or an hour long meeting. Everybody books these meetings. You know, like every Zoom meeting I get is for an hour. It's like, no, let's, yeah, let's do it in 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. then get, get back to word. And then, you know, you, you don't, you don't burn people out. And um, I don't know. I think I, me personally, I, I would get a lot more out of that than. Yeah, I'm with you there. Short and sweet because it doesn't need to be long. Just a quick, you know, morning run to get you woken to wake up and then yeah. get on with your day. But it does. It allows you to practice on your peers instead of clients. Very important to do that. Um, it, it goes a long way. And just the whole topic of communication in general, the more you practice that, the better you will do. Um, but again, you've got the, the knowledge on your product and service and then the communication. First, understand it in and out and then communicate it effectively. And understanding it in and out, um, I said first understand it in and out, it never really ends. <laughs> we had a, a training yesterday, because over the past two weeks, we had some, um, I had personally experiences with existing clients um, 
where we set the policies up. We'll give you one example. Nice guy, pays in a little over 30 grand per year um, with one of the major mutual insurance companies. I don't want to mention their name for this reason because they're working on something on this point. But um, when we set the policy up, he wanted to fund it 100 grand over three years. So he's paid 33 grand and change for three straight years and then nothing thereafter. Premium offset, allowing the dividends and interest to pay the premium. And based on the guaranteed values, non-guaranteed values on that original projection, the original illustration, worked out fine, non-MEC. In-force illustration, year four just came. He's paid in three years. I don't wanna pay anything in. I wanna to stick to the original plan. In-force illustration software says the policy will now MEC in year four. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, that, that, that's not right because the death benefit hasn't changed. We've got a level term rider that levels the death benefit out, hasn't paid anything in, never, has never gone over his MEC limit, but the insurance company's software, that's, that's what the company uses to determine if a policy is a MEC or not. So I'm look, looking at it, I'm like, okay, this is not correct. So go to my primary contact, he looks at it, has the same reaction, sends it above, and this is a, one of the major insurance companies, and they're like, we're a little stumped here because it should not be a mech, but the software is saying it's a mech. Goes higher up and they say, okay, we actually found an internal error with our software. Policy is not a mech. Here's a manual adjustment, corrected, and, and it's all good, thankfully. And never had to even say anything to the client because they don't need to be stressed out about this kind of stuff. Then they're going to lose confidence in the insurance carrier, us, because that's, that's what happens. Um, and then another case happened with a... Nice you know, wait, before you move yeah. on, it's it, it strikes me that if you didn't have the kind of product knowledge that you do, you know, if you were your average insurance advisor and that happened, I think you probably would jump up and down and scream and stamp your feet, but you'd yeah. end up going back to the client and saying, this policy's a mech, something got screwed up, we're going to, you know, raise hell with the insurance company but i think you'd be you'd, you'd be in a big mess and you probably wouldn't push it far enough in the right direction for them to realize that there was a software error that's exactly what would happen mike and that's exactly what happens in the industry when something happens that a agent does not expect because they didn't have the awareness or comes out of left field we panic and we get defensive and we start to fight so that, guy, so that individual paid in $30,000 per year. So this might amplify what you just said. So put yourself in this position you, that I'm about to share right here. You sell a policy, policy set up with a MEC limit of $400,000. The client pays in $400,000 in year one. Year two comes three days after his premium due date within the grace period says, I'm gonna fund the full $400,000. So I've run the in-force illustration. And it says the policy will mech in year two with his 400K payment in the software. I know it's wrong, but if you didn't know that it was wrong, when you look at it, what's well, you knew going it was to... wrong because of the 30 grand case or this that... happening kind of at the same time? No, this was uh, two weeks after. So I had the 30 grand cases experience, but even so, I, I would know that it's wrong because what I do is reference the status report to see what the total mech space is. Then I go back to the original illustration I'll take a screenshot of what the seven pay limit is, the MEC limit, and this is exactly what I did, and provided that to the insurance carrier to say, think we found another glitch in the software because here's the client's 
policy, he paid four hundred grand in the first year. He hasn't paid anything else in. Year two, two has, the anniversary date has passed. The next four hundred k goes in, and it's saying it will mech. If you're an agent and you see that, what's going to happen if you don't have the experience? You don't know how to maneuver through that situation. What you mentioned before, the stamping the feet up and down. Yeah, people are going to panic. And when we had the training, this was yesterday, where we walked through the situation with our agents. Um, some of them said, like, I would freak out in that situation because I told them one thing and now it's like completely different in the software. I feel like it's lying to me. Like, that's a natural reaction. I would have that too. I used to react like that all the time as well. But when these situations occur, you know the product, you know the system and how it works. You've got your team here. I'll help you with this. When we run into situations, the key thing to do for you as an agent is not to panic. That all you're going to do is just think of what it could be. How am I going to explain this to the client? And we stress ourselves out with all this stuff that we don't even need to. It's like, just stay calm. You know how the system works. Staying calm will help a, a favorable outcome. And you won't burn yourself out for the day with mental exhaustion either, which is true. That, that actually happens with this kind of stuff. So just staying calm. And then here's how we maneuver through the process when this happens. Check all your facts and then send it to the carrier. Send it to me. I can check it with you with these complex situations. And like, that's, that's it. And it, it always works out, but it's just knowing how to maneuver through that. Um, but don't don't be a knucklehead and send something to your brokerage director yelling at them or making your emails seem like you're yelling at them. Like, what are you nuts? Like, you're panicking when you don't need to because uh, then you harm the relationship. And I say that because you're a brokerage director and I'm sure you've experienced that a few times. We're in the same years. boat. I've experienced that this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So uh, the other thing uh, before I let you go that I want to mention is, you know, I think you guys do a great job of this, but in general, in our business, I found this, this particular thing to be difficult is really focused training on where your, you know, main revenue drivers are. So as a brokerage director for Mass Mutual, I'm regularly being told whether it's by a general agent or by home office or by one of my peers that, oh, you should focus here. You should focus here. You should focus on worksite. You should focus on um, long-term care solutions. And it, I think it would be hard as a new or young person in the business um, to really know and you get caught up in, you know, I need to get up to speed on this and this and this and this. and Really, you end up a lot with a lot of training and a lot of effort in areas where you're not driving a lot of revenue. Yeah. It is really important to kind of find, you know, at the end of the day, we're in sales and I'm trying to maximize sales. And I got, I have to focus in areas where, um, you know, I want to drive the most revenue uh, and not get distracted by, by shiny ancillary items, which is a uh, regular occurrence. And I think it's a regular occurrence for a lot of, you know, independent advisors out there who get pulled in a bunch of different directions. And, you know, they see their buddy over here who's making a ton of money doing this. And their buddy over here is having a lot of success with group health benefits. And there's a lot of ancillary factors yeah. that are coming into your, into your sphere. Yeah. Easy to get pulled into that. Focus on one thing in the beginning, get very, very good at that. 
and then begin to expand your products. But just focus on one thing. Become, excuse me, an absolute expert in your field. Um, when you look at business building, there's a really good book, Ready, Ready Fire, Aim. Yeah. Sounds like ready, aim, fire, but no, ready, fire, aim. So fire before you aim. Um, you've got different stages of business. And the first stage is zero to $1 million. And during that stage, all you should be doing is selling one product. That's it. Don't try and do all this other stuff. Focus on the one product until you get to that $1 million, $1 million number. And then the next stage is beginning to add additional products into your, um, into your business. But People try to do too much too soon. And it's exciting because we see the opportunity there, but don't, don't do it. Become an expert. Think of it, if you're working with someone, do you want to work with a jack of all trades that knows a little bit about everything where they appear to be experts, but they really just know just a little bit about this and that and that, or a, a niche, ex, an expert in a particular niche field, you're going to them for that reason. If you want, to, if you want something else, they're not the person you're going to work with. And that's okay. Think if you're the agent, if you're not the person that that individual is not going to work with because they're interested in something outside of your service, that's all right. Work with the people that are interested in your service. Start there and right. life will be so much easier for you as Absolutely. time passes. Yeah. Um, so listen, folks, if you're interested in anything that we talked about today uh, or if you're struggling with training or practice, um, I would really urge you to, you know, as a sales professional, Take that into your own hands. Don't always wait for management or, you know, wherever you sit, whoever your superiors are to put a track in place for you to run on. I mean, sometimes you have to, you know, you have to create that track yourself and take that practice and take that um, self-training very seriously because it's it's only going to benefit your business in, in huge ways. Um, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm Mike Courtney. Mass Mutual Eastern Pennsylvania Brokerage Director, or Steve Parisi, President and CEO of IBC Global. Uh, there's a variety of ways that we can help uh, both young and seasoned advisors uh, who are looking for training in these areas. Steve, thanks for your time today, and I'll talk to you soon. Likewise. Thanks so much, Mike. Enjoy. See you guys. Mm -hmm. Bye.